0: Now, our Bible reading is taken from the first epistle of Peter, and we're reading from chapter one, and I'm going to read this morning the entire chapter, not merely because of filling in time, but primarily because it's important that we hear the word of God and grab the context to what we want to share today. Let's hear the Word of God, reading, of course, from the Authorised Version. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galata, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, For in ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, And full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who by him Do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth for ever." For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now quite a number of weeks ago I commenced a short but necessary series of messages on the holiness of God. The holiness of God is a subject sadly I believe is one that is most neglected in an area of biblical study and one that is definitely gravely misunderstood even by many of God's dear people. Now, my first message on this subject was entitled God's Holiness and the Character of Our Sovereign God. And my text was based in Isaiah chapter 6, 1-3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My second sermon was entitled God's Holiness and the Curse of Sin from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And there we got God's view and verdict on sin. My third sermon was entitled God's Holiness and the Comfort of Saints from the Life of Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I then preached a fourth message about three or four weeks ago on the same theme, God's Holiness and the Commands of Scripture from the Book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 40. And then two weeks ago, I preached my fifth message on this series, God's Holiness and the Cross of Our Savior, from Psalm 22, verse 3. Now today, I want to add a sixth message to this short series. And my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Let me read that text to you. Look at it as you see it on the screen. But as he which hath called you, is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And my theme today is God's holiness and the call to salvation. Now, as you read 1 Peter, remember that he was writing to struggling saints who were going through some of the most horrendous trials imaginable. Peter actually calls them fiery trials. He says in verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor in the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Remember these fiery trials that they were experiencing were in the days when Nero was the Caesar on the throne at Rome. And remember he was murdering thousands of Christians. And I have no doubt that many of God's people were truly frightened and fearful, and many, no no doubt, were thinking of the danger of giving up completely and following Christ and turning their back upon the Savior. So here's Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to encourage them. He wants them to persevere. He wants them to continue in the faith, and he wants them to our hearts and minds with the great truths of the glorious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus the Lord. And as you read through 1 Peter, especially from verse 3 right through to the end, that's what Peter is writing about, the great theme of our glorious salvation in Christ. It's all about the outworking of God's glorious salvation in the hearts and lives of his people. And I want you to notice something this morning, that in the unfolding purpose of God in working out this wonderful doctrine of salvation in Christ, there is a link between this wonderful doctrine of salvation in Christ to the great doctrine and subject of holiness. And that's why I've chosen for my theme today, God's holiness and the call to salvation. Listen again to what Peter is saying here. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I want you to think this morning of three things with me. I want you to think here of the argument for holiness. He says in verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, In all manner of conversation. And then he adds, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I want you to notice here his arguments for this call to holiness. Who is he that hath called you to holiness? And the answer, of course, is the triune God. This God who appointed salvation, this Son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished God's salvation, the Holy Spirit who applies this salvation, it is He that calls. But as He which hath called you is holy, God the Father is holy, God the Son is holy, and God the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. You see, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's the first person of the Trinity. Through sanctification of the Spirit, there's the third person. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now here's Peter's very profound yet doctrinal argument for holiness And his argument is simple, that because God is holy, and because it is God who has called you to salvation, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Holiness remembers the very essence of God's being. What is God's like? God is intrinsically holy. We have already read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Notice the repetition of the word holy there. It's complete. We don't read in the scriptures eternal, 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 or love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, grace, grace. No, when we're thinking about God, we're thinking about a God who's intrinsically holy, and the reference is Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the book of Exodus, chapter 15, we read the words, Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness. And isn't it staggering when we link it up with Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, that the angels who have a created brightness all of their own, can't really take it in how God is glorious in holiness. So much so that in his presence, they have to veil their face with their wings. So much so that they have to veil their flesh with their wings. So much so that they have to fly with two of their wings and cry out, the Bible says, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think of the profound impact that the holiness of God had on Isaiah. Isaiah, remember, is one of those holy prophets. Four times in the New Testament, we read the words, the holy prophets. Isaiah, whenever he saw this vision of God, really a vision of the second person of the glorious Trinity, the Lord Jesus himself, glorious in holiness, he cried out, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah, this holy prophet who had been a preaching woe and woe uh, against the, the children of Judah for their sinful lifestyle, this man is filled with a deep conviction as he beheld the Lord's holiness and became aware of how sinful he really was and his awareness of, of God, they have mercy upon him and his need of divine grace. Now here's the point this morning. The holiness of God must have a profound impact on our lives. Now, I, of course, believe that there is such a thing here, and this is what Peter's emphasizing, as a practical holiness or a practical godliness. There must be in the Christian life a pursuit of biblical holiness. Why? Because the God who's called us to salvation, that God is, in fact, glorious in holiness, And therefore this God, who has called us to salvation, also has called us to a life of holiness. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. Now when you read that word holy, young people, or men and women, what do you think about? Do you cringe at that word? Or do you cry out before God, woe is me? I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I want you to understand this morning that in a real sense, when we think about the subject of holiness, we are already positionally holy in Christ. In the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read in the verse 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Think of those words, which are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That word sanctified means set apart, which is connected to our word holy. We're already positionally sanctified in Christ. He mentions it again in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified not being but our sanctified and of course that's very very important it means we're already separated unto God in Christ because of our union with Jesus Christ. We are already positionally giving a holy standing before God in him. We are already positionally holy because of our union with Christ, because of our relationship to the Savior. Remember we are accepted by God in the beloved and the righteous life of Jesus Christ is put to our account and we enjoy the imputation of Christ righteous life, uh, put to our account by virtue of faith in him. But we're also called in the Bible not only to enjoy this positional holiness, but we're also in called of God to pursue a life of practical holiness. And sadly, many of God's people forget this. Many of God's people neglect this. And there's many aspects of our lives where this pursuit of biblical holiness is forgotten about. Over there in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, and in the verse uh, 4, uh, the the apostle Paul says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that's to do with our election, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And you see, I go back, when you think of the word holy or holiness, does that make you cringe or cry out before God? You see, many people have this idea, well, if I'm going to be holy, I must be somber, and I must have a long face, and I must be afraid to laugh or afraid to smile. Other people have this idea, well, we must shut ourselves up from the world, go into a state of permanent isolation. And of course, that's what they did in the medieval times when they entered into the monastery or the nunnery. Other people think, well, I must give up certain things, even legitimate pleasures of life. I must deny myself ice cream. I must deny myself chocolate. And um, other people imagine, well, if I'm to be holy and pursue holiness I must try and earn God's favor and I must reach a place where where God is pleased with me but I want to say this morning that that is not even a part of true biblical holiness because that's nothing to do with the meaning of true biblical holiness here we are but as he which had called you as holy so be ye holy and what does that mean it means to be set apart It means to be separated from a life of sin unto God. We're not only separated from all known and secret and presumptuous sins, but we're to live a life of entirely consecration for God. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for the Savior. And we're 100% genuine in that pursuit. Let me give a little illustration this morning. Think of a new driver, and he's taking his driving test. And as the driving instructor is getting out of the car, he says to the young fella that you have passed. You have almost a perfect test. You only made one mistake. And the young fella said to the driving instructor getting out of the car, I'm glad I don't have to drive like that all of the time. And you see, isn't it true that in the journey of life, Many put on a good show in relation to the Lord's Day, the Wednesday night prayer meeting and the Bible study, the Friday night youth group. Many put on a good show in front of others. And yet, while they're aware that at times there's people watching, the rest of the time they feel it's okay to let their standards down, to to lower their guard, And and you see, there's many professing Christians this morning, some who could be listening to me, who make a profession that they're saved, that they're in Christ, that they've got a full and free and forever pardon, that grace and peace has been multiplied to them, and they're saved, and they've got the assurance that they're going to heaven. But they imagine this. But it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do. What I want to say this morning that it does. And here's the argument for biblical holiness because God is holy. And if you're right related to God and you're in Christ, then you'll want to pursue holiness. Remember what we read in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, I'm alarmed today because many professing Christians who claim to be saved on the road to heaven, an assurance of salvation, some are divorcing their husbands and their wives. The level of drunkenness and alcohol abuse among many professing Christians is alarming. Many professing Christians are sitting watching pornography on the internet. Many, of course, are engaged in many of the other TV shows and soaps that fill their mind. You think of those who are professing Christians that today engage in sexual immorality. You, you think of the many professing Christian businessmen who have a very bad reputation. Um, if you speak to their employees or speak to those that they owe money to, uh, and you will discover People saying, well, if such and such is a Christian, then thank the Lord I'm not. You see, what's the problem? What many profess to believe makes no impact on how they live. But I want to say this morning that the holiness of God is linked to the call to salvation. And if God is transcendent above and beyond us, and if God is totally free and separate from all sin, if God is not only absolutely sinlessly perfect, but is intrinsically holy, if God is thrice holy, then God's people who profess to be saved in Christ have to learn to hate sin, have to learn to flee from it, and have to follow after holiness as they follow after the Lord. Remember what the Bible tells us there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul makes a very, very profound statement. He says this after 11 chapters of doctrine. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of the mercy of God to us in Christ, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you see, far too many professing Christians today are allowing the world to squeeze them into their mold. And it ought not to be. While we're positionally holy in Christ, there must be the pursuit of practical holiness. And I believe, of course, this is for every professing Christian. There's not one exclusion to this. This is not just for the pastor or the preacher. This is not just for the elder or the church worker. But this is also for the ordinary Christian. This is for the young person. This is for the elderly. This is a subject that we need to pay attention to. Notice... Not only the doctrinal argument for this call, but did you notice the authoritative argument for this call? Verse 16, "Because it is written, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." Now here's Peter, and I believe he's recognizing the authority of the Word of God. He's turning our attention to two passages, Leviticus chapter 11 and in the verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And in Leviticus 19, and in the verse 2, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Peter's recognizing the authority of Scripture. And he emphasized that because many today don't, even in the church. Many preachers today and professors, they deny the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. They deny its inerrancy. They deny its veracity, that that's its truthfulness, young people. They deny its authority. Why? Because they have a different worldview. And their worldview doesn't include God. And it doesn't include the Word of God. They're living independently of God. But, but the, the Apostle Peter fully recognized the authority of Scripture. And he said, here's another argument for a life of the pursuit of holiness. There's a, a biblical authoritative argument linked to this call. And if you think of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus actually believed in and submitted himself to to the full authority of the holy scriptures he himself said the scripture cannot be broken heaven and earth shall pass away but my word shall never pass away and Peter's argument for holiness was simple what is God like God is holy thrice holy and here's another argument What does the Bible say? And if you're a Bible believer this morning, then you need to take this seriously. And I want you to notice if you look, it says, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now, that word conversation is an old Elizabethan word. It has to do with your style of living, your your lifestyle. It's not just your words, but it has to do with your thoughts. It has to do with your actions and deeds. It has to do with your, your motivation. And we'll come back to that in a little moment. But I, I want you to notice that this applies to every professing believer. And this covers every area of our life. Our, our married life. Our, our, our life as a believer in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in society. It is very wide. It is very comprehensive. Now I want you to think of something else very quickly. Not only the arguments for biblical holiness, but I want you to think of the arrangements for biblical holiness. And I'm going to ask the question... How do you cultivate a life of experimental biblical holiness? In other words, how do you pursue holiness? If we're to follow after holiness without which we want to see the Lord, how do we do that? Well, some people say, well, you do nothing. And I believe, of course, that is wrong. I believe that every Christian born again of the Holy Spirit has a responsibility by God's help and grace to fully cooperate with God in this life of personal holiness. There's no such thing as sitting back and doing nothing and ignoring this call. This call has to be heeded. This call applies, as we've said, to every area of one's life. As I've said, the word conversation can be interpreted manner of living. It's not just our words, it's our deeds, it's our thought life. It's our motive. And the model, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We read in the book of Hebrews concerning the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 7 and verse 26 For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Someone has literally translated the words, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. They have translated that to mean, Be ye holy. In any which way you turn. So, whether it's in the home life, whether it's in school or university or in the workplace or in society, whether you're married or whether you're single, this subject of the pursuit of biblical holiness is part and parcel of this call. Suppose this morning, if I take the illustration of a farmer. You think of a farmer and he's got a field and he has a thought in his mind, I would like to sow potatoes in that field. Well what has he got to do? He's got to prepare his field. Hi by ploughing it up, by rotivating it, by harrowing it, by making drills, by sowing the seed potatoes, by fertilisation. And then of course he looks forward to a harvest. Oh yes, he needs the sun to shine, he needs the rain to fall. he needs need days when the wind will blow softly. He realizes that the warmth of the rays of the sun and the rain that falls, well, that's not within his remit. That's God's doing. He has no control over that. He's not responsible for that, but he is responsible for breaking up His fallow ground He's responsible for getting his field ready And sowing the seed There are things that he needs to do And he does them Not only in the expectation of a harvest But he does them fully dependent on God Remember the Lord Jesus said In John 15 verse 2 Without me ye can do nothing And another little scripture that I love Is Philippians 4 and verse 13 Where the apostle Paul said That I can do all things through Christ Which strengtheneth me You see we're not doing it in our own power And steam and our energy We're doing it by the grace and help of God We're doing it through our Lord Jesus Christ And here's the thought this morning Here's the arrangement for biblical holiness Yes we're positionally holy in Christ And that can never change But there must be the pursuit of biblical holiness And therefore what can we do? Well, let me suggest this morning this, that it begins with our mind. There must be purity of thought. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll notice in the verse 13, Peter uses the word, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And the image there is of, say, an Israelitish person, uh, or or a greek individual and in those days in the first century they wore a long robe and if they wanted to run or if they wanted to to work say in the field or they were going to fight with someone say in a wrestling game they they would have tucked their garment into their belt and in regard to holiness We must act as if we mean business. We must be mentally prepared. I believe that holiness and the pursuit of it begins in our thought life because what we think in our mind determines, I believe, how we behave. And we must start dealing with sin in our thought life. And we must strive to make our thoughts to be in conformity to And obedience to Christ. And our thought life must be real. Our thought life of course could be rotten. But sooner or later what's in our mind. Will be found out either through our mouth. Or through our hands. Or through our heart. Think of this little illustration. What's down in the well. Comes out in the bucket. And what's down in the human heart. Will eventually come out through mouth gate. And what comes out through mouth gate will, of course, um, be reflective of the thoughts that's in our mind. So we need to practically guard our mind. Could I ask the question, young people, what do you fill your mind with on a day-to-day basis? There has to be purity of thought. This applies to the area of films and music and magazines. A second thing that we can do in a practical way, is ponder the truth. We must give attention to the Scriptures. Think of these words. It is written. See, remember in John 17, verse 17, the Lord Jesus prayed, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And the Holy Spirit gave the words of the Bible. And the words of the Bible have to have a sanctifying, transforming effect upon us. Peter went on to say as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How can we grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ and his personal work? How can we grow in the knowledge of God? How can we be still and know that he's God? How can we be godly men and women? Well, of course, part of the answer is to uh, meditate on the Holy Scriptures. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 119, he made a tremendous statement, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. This book will keep us from sin. Sin will keep us from this book. And remember the godly man in Psalm 1, he is portrayed for us there, characterized by the negative, the things that he doesn't do. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't listen to the advice of the ungodly. That's not his worldview. Nor he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He's a man of one book. And young people, I would say to you, cultivate the habit of reading your Bible every day. Cultivate the habit of meditating on the Holy Scriptures. Cultivate the habit of getting a little word from God. It might only be a few verses. It might be a chapter. But cultivate the habit of pondering the truth in your mind. The third thing that I would suggest to you is the pursuit of tests. Could I ask this morning, what is your attitude to the preaching of Jesus Christ? Sabbath by Sabbath, even in a live broadcast. Can you take it or leave it? It's no big deal. It doesn't matter whether I listen or not. Do you have a regard for the day of God? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Do you have a regard for the name of Jesus Christ? What about the cause of Jesus Christ? What is your attitude to prayer? Do you engage in private prayer on a daily basis? Can you get down on your knees and cry out, God help me? Do you join in the public times of prayer? Even though we can't physically meet, you could still join with us. What about your attitude to the people of God? Is that not vital? Remember um, the uh, Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 or Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, he says, "'Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together "'as the manner of some is, "'but exhorting one another.'" And so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's vital that we have fellowship and contact with the people of God. Because people of God can can be a great help to us. Iron can sharpen iron. What is your attitude to the power of indwelling sin? Remember again what uh, Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 6 in verse 14. What for sin shall not have dominion over you? For you're not under the law but under grace. What shall, what then shall we say? What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace God forbid? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked but ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which is delivered unto you being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness. Christ, you're no longer under the dominion and the control and the power of sin. Sin's power has been broken. Sin has lost its power in your life. You're a believer now. Your life has been changed and transformed. You've been gifted with the gift of victory over sin through the power of the indwelling Christ. You must guard yourself against secret sin. Guard yourself against the little sins. Guard yourself against presumptuous sins. Don't harbor bitterness in your heart. If you're bitter against a brother or a sister in Christ, whom you've sinned against or they've sinned against you, deal with it. Deal with anger. Deal with lust. In fact, doesn't Peter say that? He says as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves, not conforming yourselves according to the former loss in your ignorance. He was well aware that they were controlled by their loss in their ignorance. But now because they're in Christ, they're to pursue holiness. Pray that you'll be sensitive to sin. Pray that you'll not cover up sin. Pray that you'll not be guilty of secret sin. It's easy to do that. But remember, you're not on your own. You can have divine help. You can have divine grace. You can ask for the Holy Spirit. Doesn't the Bible say, In the book of Luke, in Luke 11, verse 13, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And you can ask for the Holy Spirit to make you sensitive to sin. And these are the pursuit of tests. What's your attitude to the preaching of Christ, to the prayer meeting, to participation at the Lord's table? Do you welcome it? The the people of God, the, the power of indwelling sin, What's your attitude to the provision of God's great salvation? Maybe you're this morning, you've grown weary, you're discouraged, you're tempted to quit. I want you to think of who you are in Christ. I want you to think of what you have in Christ. I want you to count your blessings this morning. I want you to think of the great wonders of the gospel. I want you to think of who Christ is and what he's done. Think of your union in Christ that can never be severed. Think of the power of the grace of God. Think of the peace of God that's multiplied in your life. You see, this is the arrangement for biblical holiness. One final thing this morning. I want us to think about the acknowledgement of biblical holiness. As you get your eyes in Christ, remembering I believe he is a perfect model for us to live by. Let's remember this, that we're all in a spiritual war and you will be opposed by the world, its practices, its philosophies, its pursuits. The Bible tells us there in 1 John chapter 2 and in the verses 15 and 16, it makes this tremendous statement. It says, love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And you see, by God's grace, in the world as you live out the Christian life, God's grace can become a great motivating factor for holy living. Because as you think of the sinfulness of this world, the fact fact that you're not to to love this world, but you're going to constantly focus on Christ and and God's great plan of salvation for us, and even though you're going to be opposed by the world, you're going to still continue in this pursuit of holiness. You will be opposed, of course, by inward remaining sin. I asked this morning, what's your attitude to the power of sin? Do you hate sin? Do you recognize sin for what it is? Do you mourn your sin? Do you repent of it? Do you repudiate it before God? I acknowledge that sin is present with all of us in our thoughts, in our words, and our deeds. And I often feel that I'm such a poor specimen as a Christian. I often feel I'm such a poor specimen of a preacher. I'm not worthy. But I throw myself upon the mercy of God I cry out for God's grace to help I I realize that I I must In a sense fight the good fight of faith And I've got to recognize that the old nature I've got to put it to death By the grace and help of God We're also opposed by the devil The devil hates holiness The, The devil hates God The devil hates a holy people. The devil were revealed in Peter like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us, whom to resist. If I told you this morning there's a lying on the loose outside, well, you would not go out. You would keep your kids indoors. You would take every precaution. You would be watchful. You would be alert. You would be spiritually alert. And that's, of course, the point this morning. Yes we're not going to be perfect But we must strive purposefully By the grace and help of God One day we will be perfect Remember what we read there in 1 John chapter 3 and the verse 2 Beloved now are we the sons of God And it doth not yet appear what we shall be But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him For we shall see him as he is And every man that hath this hope in him That because you're in Christ And you're living for Christ. And one day you're going to be with Christ. And you have this hope that you're going to be like Christ. Listen to this. Every man that has this hope in him. Purifieth himself. Even as he is pure. And it was the great John Calvin that said. What we behold will have a great effect in what we become. He went on to say. We must be constantly making progress. Both in the knowledge of God. And in conformity to his image. If you today are saved by the grace of God in Christ. And you have a perfect standing positionally in Christ. And therefore you're sanctified and set apart unto God. Set apart from sin. There's a change and transformation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And you're secure in Christ. And you'll know that that union can never be severed. And yes, you're going to be opposed by the world and opposed by the inward remaining sin, opposed by the devil. You will acknowledge that. And then you'll see, as you get your eyes in Christ, the encouragement and the help for this great quest of pursuing biblical holiness. I go back to our text this morning. I leave it with you. I emphasize it, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Listen to this argument this morning, what God is like and what the Bible teaches. Think of this arrangement for biblical holiness. God, by his grace, is giving us the joy and the privilege of dying to sin and living under righteousness, pursuing holiness in the fear of God. And we acknowledge that we'll never be perfect. We acknowledge that we have many enemies, but in the end, we shall be like Christ, which is far better. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening again to this message.